Welcome to Workplace Community Connections. I'm your host, Charlotte Stevens. We are all part of different communities, families, friends, and professional groups. This podcast focuses on the communities of which we are a part in our professional lives, our workplaces, and our business communities. My guests will share their insights into strengthening workplaces, enhancing engagement and satisfaction, and building relationships to carry us all forward together. You will hear from human resource professionals and business and nonprofit leaders who strive every day to make our workplaces and our communities stronger, better, and more connected. So let's get started with today's guest. Hi there, this is Charlotte. I am very happy today to welcome Polaris Freeman, who is a friend and colleague of mine. She's a partner in the Wilmington, Delaware law firm of Young Conaway, where she concentrates her legal practice in intellectual property and commercial litigation. I've known Polaris through the American Bar Association section of litigation, um, where she has been very active for a number of years. She was co-chair of the section's Women Advocate Committee and currently serves with me on the section's Mental Health and Wellness Task Force. Mental health and wellness is a topic that she and I are both passionate about. We've had many conversations about it. She also does nationwide training on that topic as well as on leadership and leadership development. So welcome to our. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I'm so glad that you agreed to join me today because as we've had many conversations about the topic of mental health and well-being, not only in the legal profession, but in general. And and I know there are, are a number of different unique perspectives that you can share. How did you first get interested in this topic? What drew you to be so passionate about it? Yeah, I think so. My my mom's a psychiatrist, so that that's one. So I've it's I guess it's been in my life since, since I've been breathing. But I would say I I started my career post college as a social worker. So I think my training as a social worker certainly, and then as I I was kind of late to the practice of law. I I, I was a first year associate at thirty two, so about seven years older than my my peers. So yeah, so the. It can be stressful in and of itself. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so being a social worker, working in an inpatient psychiatric and substance abuse facility, and then doing social science research, and then meandering my way to the practice of law. But but frankly, I, I tell people all the time that my social work training taught me more about or prepared me more for being a lawyer than actual legal training, which for obvious reasons that we'll talk about today. Yeah, it's all about the human connection, relationships, yeah, and, and we see them every day, no matter what kind of law we practice. Yeah, or what kind of, I mean, as I like to say that the the practice of law is inherently stressful, but but I'd say no more so than living. <laughs> right. So being a, a, a sibling, a friend, a, a child, a parent, these are all, dealing with humans is stressful, so... If, if all I had to do was deal with uh, puppies, I, I I think I would live a very stress-free existence. <laughs> that is not. And I noticed on your your web bio that that you do some work with puppies, <laughs> and I would imagine that that's probably not a coincidence. No, and that's actually part of I think one one of the things we can talk about. I mean, that's part of my self care, right? Is volunteer work, and that's part of what I do to 
to have balance. I, I've, I'm on my second therapy dog and, and we, we volunteer with a local organization where we do therapeutic visits with people. And I trained her myself. She's my dog. And up until recently, we were visiting at the children's hospital. And, and that stuff like that is all part of what we could talk about today is different things. But I started doing that as a, I started volunteering with her or with my first dog as a form of self-care. Because being with my dog definitely brings me joy and peace. And so I was looking for opportunities to give back to the community and do something, but do something with my dog. And so that was part of, part of that choice too. And I, I was, it's been over 10 years now. That's fantastic. And, and I think that's a perfect segue into sort of the first part of the conversation I wanted to have with you, which was around what we all can do in our daily lives in order to reduce stigma, feel better about ourselves and just manage the minefields that, that face us all, whether we are lawyers, support staff, or work in something completely different from the law. Yeah. Well, I, to me, I think the number one, the first thing you can do, whether you're a leader or whether you're an employee, just an employee and you don't supervise anybody, <laughs> Which, I mean, most people are leading somebody. They have an opportunity to be a leader in, in some facet of your life, even if you don't view it that way. And, and I view even the most junior people, they have an opportunity to lead. So, so when, I, when I say leader, I'm not just talking about a CEO or a chair or a section head. Is somebody leading the way. And that can be somebody who maybe, maybe in the seniority is not very senior, but they might lead the way in, in other ways. So, so when I use that term uh, in what we're going to discuss, I just wanted to give that that explanation that I'm not just talking about the top, although the top is very important for setting a tone. But but I, I think that the, the number one thing, the first thing that I think all people should do, and you can do starting in 10 minutes, as soon as you turn off this podcast, <laughs> and talk about it. Talk, don't be vocal. Talk about it. It's It's when I first started talking about what, like when I made that active decision, I'm going to be open and vulnerable and just talk about my own experiences and the things that I do. I have received nothing but positive feedback. Meaning somebody saying, oh, thank you for saying that. Oh, th this is my experience, but I didn't realize other people had this experience. Or I, I wish there were more people like you in leadership. Because things like, hey, I can't talk to you in 10 minutes. I'm going to go see my therapist. It's, it, it's, it normalizes the notion that therapy is okay. Or saying I'm, or being upset or being sick and just being open and honest about the struggles that we face and how we feel about them and the emotions that we're feeling. And I, it, it only, it makes you genuine. It makes you human. It makes you be able to lead and, 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 lead more effectively. And I think just be a better corporate citizen, a better partner when you're, it's, it's a way to be kind of one of the gang because you're just human too. And I think that it, it will only enable you to deepen your connections with your peers and with subordinates and the people that you may have to report up to. Right. And, and there, there's a lot in there to, to unpack. And I'm, I'm going to try to remember everything you said because there was, there was a lot of gold in those comments. I mean, I would start first with that concept of 
letting people know if you're struggling, whether, especially if you're a leader, but whether you're a leader or not, because one of the reasons it, it, it workplaces and, and elsewhere, just in society, that people don't go to therapists or take advantages of, take advantage of resources that might be available to them is the fear of being judged harshly or the stigma around any kind of self-care behaviors. And is that something that you've seen and, and how, yeah. how do we deal with that? I mean, it makes me laugh because I can't imagine. It's like, especially as a lawyer, our brain is our most cherished tool. And, yeah. to, and to think that that would somehow be a weakness to, to want to hone that tool. People are applauded for hiring a nutritionist or a personal trainer I, I see a therapist is no different. I've been going to the dentist every six months since I was three years old. I, I wish I'd been going to a therapist for once a month since I was that young. I might be with a better, well-adjusted than I am now. I mean, shoot, I, I think I was, I was older than I'd like to admit when I started to ha- have regular therapy. I'm, I'm, gosh, I'm pushing, I'm 47 now. I was probably in my late 30s or maybe 40. So maybe for the last seven or eight years, I've been go, like going like to, to, and when I say regular, I mean once a week or once a month, same person for the last probably seven or eight years. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a show of strength, actually, to ask for help. It shows strength. It shows maturity. Those are people I want on my team. That's what it tells me. As somebody who's saying, I'm feeling this way and and this is what I need. I mean, it doesn't mean sometimes you don't have to, you, you, it doesn't mean you can always get what you need when you want it. Yeah. But it's, it's the way that you can prevent meltdowns. It's the way that you can prevent, it's just like when you're a little sick and if you would just rest or to take some vitamin C or or you would just address it, then you can prevent yourself from getting really sick. That's the way I kind of view therapy and self-care. That Preventative care by, by talking through some issues and processing them with yeah. someone else. It's a way that you can prevent, as my therapist would like to say, we all, we all experience trauma in our lives. And if you deal with it and process it when it happens, like for me, a few years ago, I got caught in a tornado. And the thought of even driving in the rain when the, the the clouds would come, I would, I I would, my chest would tighten. I wouldn't leave the house if there was a chance of rain. And she said, let's, okay, instead of once a month, I'm going to see you once a week for the next, let's say six weeks. And we're going to get to the bottom of this so that it doesn't turn into PTSD. So, and, and that's exactly what happened. We dealt with it. We moved on and, and I was, I was okay. Yeah. So it's, it's how it's how you can prevent big problems by handling the little ones. Well, that the whole concept I think of like people being vulnerable or showing vulnerability, especially leaders, it's changed. I think it, over the past maybe even five or six years, I've noticed it where always wanting to have a, a shell of armor and not wanting to be one of the gang or showing yourself as somehow different because you are the CEO or the head of the department or whatever it might be. Were you saying that that maybe there's a little more now in terms of people being willing to talk about it and 
and share some experiences that they've had and come through. Coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, you're also seeing a lot more, like I think in the last year, I've saw several articles about leaders talking about emotional intelligence, right? And the importance of emotional intelligence. And that in and of itself, I think shows a shift, right? That that a, a good leader no longer like that, that grit or having that you can handle everything, being stoic, not showing emotion, being decisive and kind of cutthroat. Now it's like we want, we, we, we know that 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 isn't what makes a good leader, right? That's not the kind of person you want to follow, right? The kind of person you want your leaders to be decisive. Sure. You want your leaders to make good decisions, but, and to have vision, but you also want your, your leaders to have empathy. You want your leaders to be self-aware and you, you want them to be able to manage their emotions instead of screaming at you and throwing staplers at you and you want them to be able to manage their own emotions and be able to change and shift and, and take in good ideas and not be, not have their feathers ruffled because it wasn't their idea, right? You, you want them to, to just foster a, an environment that is a positive place to be where, where people can actually share ideas and, and be a force together. Collaboration, community, working together, giving credit where credit is due. I think a lot of the, the studies that I've seen recently in the human resources world and some of the more anecdotal kind of tests and things that happen at conferences, people tend to identify the, their best leaders that they've ever worked for as individuals that have those emotional intelligence qualities, of which you mentioned, like, like empathy. Um, being being so important or the, the ability to recognize talent or skill in others and, and to yeah. mentor people uh, yeah that just be a, a you know lead from the top down yeah like like I think a good example is one thing I heard once that was really disappointing was somebody saying empathy is not important like if a job needs to get done and you have to you have a a sick kid at home why should I care? Why? I'm sorry. Can you, you can still hear me? Yes. Okay. Sorry. I don't know what happened there, but so I'll start over. So when you have a sick kid at home and a leader says, I don't, this job just needs to get done. I don't care about your kid. It still needs to get done. So why should I have empathy? Right? Well, yeah. that that's missing. The, that's misunderstanding what empathy is. Because <laughs> empathy doesn't mean that somebody gets a pass. Or that a right. job no longer needs to get done just because somebody has a sick kid at home. It might just mean just commiserating and saying, I, well, let's see what we can do to get you home quicker, that we still need to get this done, but I, I know you're distracted and I'm, and I'm sorry, and let's, let's see what we can do to get this done. It might just be expressing concern or if somebody looks like, they're having a bad day, not assuming that they're unhappy, not assuming that that you did something, not assuming that they're being insubordinate, even. Maybe they have maybe they just heard that their mother was hospitalized. And you don't know. So even just asking somebody, is everything okay? Right. You know? Right. You know, it's that it's as simple as that. And listening and reacting to the answer. I I, I used to say, uh, you know, I I 
worked with some people where the only correct answer to how are you doing were fine and busy. You, you shouldn't be sharing anything that might be problematic that I might have to listen to and deal with. Yeah. Just move on. And sometimes a few minutes of, like you say, a, a listening ear or some understanding goes a long way in helping that individual be more productive uh, and, and want to stay retention. Want to stay and work with you long. Exactly. Inspiring people. And, yeah. and, and hopefully it'll change the culture because they'll pay it forward. So Right. Right. People tend to circular behavior. People who are treated poorly tend to treat others poorly. And we, we see that time and again. Or they rise to the level of leadership and then they emulate the same behaviors that may not be the most attractive or, or you know, professional behaviors of a leader. I was a little bit about how a person might engage in some of that self-care. We started talking about it a little bit around your volunteerism, but what kind of tips and tricks might there be in terms of just helping yourself get over a hurdle or shoot the day? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the, 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 the one thing I think the most important thing is that you don't need to make time, right? You, you don't need to make time for this and it's, and take baby steps because there's a, it, it, this is all cumulative. When you, when you start making little itty bitty changes, you start wanting to make bigger ones. So you don't like when, when I committed to meditating more and I'm like, okay, I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes every day. Well, that fell by the wayside very quickly. But then I started to realize I don't need 10 minutes. And yeah. when I'm driving to work and I kind of just clear my mind and just, and I'm focusing on the road, I'm meditating. Like that is meditating. Like, you don't, I don't need to take a 10 minute guided meditation every single day. And then I start feeling guilty when I don't get it done. And then it starts, right. forget that, right? You need 30 seconds. So like little thing, I've, I've given these tips before and I feel like, like when you have less than five minutes or if you're going into a stressful something like the phone's ringing, it's your mom or an adversary you're going to have a very contentious conversation with. I'll sometimes just take literally 10 seconds and shut my eyes and just feel, just center myself by just focusing on the weight of my butt in the chair or if I'm standing up, the weight of my feet on the floor and just take two deep breaths and then answer the phone. Little things like that. I've got like, cause like we're this is, I guess it's like a, I don't know what they call it, a little stone. Sometimes when I'm on a call and just having it in my hand is cool, you know, that it, it's, it, this also centers me. Um, a little comfort. Yeah. yeah. It's just a little thing that kind of centers me. Things like that. Taking notice how you're feeling. Like if I'm feeling very stressed, like I've got things coming at me from every direction and my, my heart rate. Like I've noticed that I'll, I've taken my, and my heart rate's like 119 and I'm sitting down. That's not good. Right. right. And so I take a second to, I actually take notice of what I'm feeling and where. So my heart's beating out of my chest. So I'll just, I'll take notice of it and see, acknowledge what I'm feeling. And that in, in like five seconds is all this takes. And then I just let it go. And what happens? My heart rate goes down almost immediately. Did you find that that takes practice or did that start to work for you immediately once you started doing it? What takes practice, I think, is from is 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 the physically like stop, stop and acknowledge how you're feeling. Yeah, Um, 
that it does maybe take a little bit of practice, but not much. It's just more of a, and sometimes, and you can even have a reminder just that like that this can remind me if I see it sitting there, how am I feeling? And just, and it's, but it's also a way that you can acknowledge what you're feeling without judging yourself and what you're feeling is valid. And then, but then you can just let it go. I also find too, a little trick I love when I learned it, I was never an athlete. So athletes would already know this. I didn't know it. I have two left feet, but by putting your hands over your head, it forces your body to belly breathe. So when, when you see athletes doing that, like you see a sprinter put their hands on their head after they're done sprinting, they do that because it lowers your heart rate almost immediately. And long so, distance runners do it when they get a stitch in their side. Yeah, exactly. It, it relaxes you and it, it forces you to belly breathe and it forces your body to relax. So that's something I'll do too. If you're not, if you don't really know what belly breathing is, like it forces you to do that if you put your hands over the head. So, but literally five seconds, it can take five seconds. It's instantaneous. It's, it's incredible how quickly you'll notice your heart rate just going down. But I also too like to, if I'm sitting down, stand up. If I'm standing, sitting down. I mean, these are all super simple, quick things you can do. If you have more time, like 10 minutes or more, I do think guided meditation is great. Taking a walk, whether it can be a walk around the block or walk around your office. The change of scenery sometimes does help a lot. Yeah. And it can be like, I have a recliner. Sometimes I will go from my desk to my chair, even just that. But yeah, exactly. If you need to, like our Apple Watch can remind us to move, to get up, right? To stand. So take that as an opportunity to not just stand, but just just move, move for a minute, move for 30 seconds. And right. that can, it can really help when you have a little bit of time. Or also like if you're, if there are things going wrong at work, make a list. What do I need? What do I need? That can take less than five minutes or maybe 10 minutes. What do I need? And then execute it. Okay. I need anything in terms of resources or help or just to take time to, to work on one aspect of a project. An afternoon off, a, a task off your plate, additional, uh, uh, yeah, additional resources, less responsibility. You might need, hey, one of the things for me that I found that I needed was a different chair, right? Uh, I was finding, I was having pain, right? I need a different chair. And I got, I, I found a chair I wanted, I asked for it and they gave it to me. Right. And we'll get it if you don't ask. Exactly. That was the, the best advice I think I ever got was my first job out of college, my first social work job at a, at a inpatient long-term treatment facility for women. And my supervisor there said, the number one rule is ask for what you need. No one's a mind reader. And, and that, that applies in every facet of our lives. Ask for what you need. Be the squeaky wheel. Don't keep how you're feeling a secret. Don't keep what you need a secret. No secrets. No one can help you if you keep it to yourself. So, and, and everybody, everybody goes through similar things. So, but we need to talk about it more. The perspective of the workplace, you know, what, and there's always this struggle of whose responsibility is it? Is it the individual's responsibility? Is it the workplace's responsibility? I, I say most as well as sometimes as legal, the profession itself, because of how a culture might be. 
But, you know, there are certainly other businesses where it should be a very inherently stressful culture. What can a workplace do to try to assist with that, to alleviate some of the stress and, and some of the burden and hopefully have a more healthy workforce? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, and I, and I do think that the easiest thing to do is for the leaders of an organization to, to lead by example, right? Yeah. Like I, I will tell, I lead teams and I'll be the first person to tell somebody, I can't talk to, I can't do this at nine because I've got my therapy appointment. Or I'll talk about, hey, I was just telling my therapist about X, Y, and Z, right? Because I, I am a firm believer that people should, we should be assigned therapists at birth because life just doesn't- Just your PC, me, right? <laughs> exactly. We should be assigned them at birth. Like a guardian angel, we should have a therapist at birth. But, you know, it's, so leading by example, I think is, is, is one thing that the individuals at the top can do. But I think as an organization, whether you're a law firm or not, the ABA- wellness toolkit. If you just Google it, it's on, you can get it for free. And it's a prepackaged thing that can help any business, whether you're a legal employer or not. But, you know, I think a lot of the stuff where it starts is, is just a needs assessment, surveying, what, because different organizations might have different needs, like asking people, do a listening tour, ask people what they want. I think providing training, for managers and determining what, especially in your industry, what are the barriers to wellness, right? Like with law firms, the, the billable hour and the hours in the stressful, inherently stressful work can be barriers to wellness. So billable the, hours and email. <laughs> exactly. So what can, is there something we can do to help manage that if we can't eliminate it? So, but having, setting policies that promote wellness and also being cognizant of what policies you might have that are contrary to wellness in the workplace, because yeah. that's just as important. That, that now I think is huge. And one thing I've always advocated for is if you have these policies, make sure that your managers, supervisors, leaders are, are living them that they're following them, that they're leading consistent with those policies. Because you ha if you have a written policy and someone heads a certain department or certain branch office or group of people and they are not operating consistent with that policy, it, it, you might as well not have the policy at all because you can, you, you're creating even more damage by having a policy that has no teeth. Right. And, and, like, and, and if you have a, and pay attention to what's going on. If, yeah. if you have employees that are never taking vacation, then it's not because they don't want to. So find what's going on. Maybe somebody feels like they can't because the higher ups never do, or yeah. they're worried that there's some tone or there's some, so, there is some barrier. And so figure that out. I, I always liked the concept of mandating minimum. Like people say, okay, th these are your maximum vacation days. I like mandating minimum. Now, not every industry can do that. The practice of law can sometimes be one of those, but you can check in. Hey, you haven't taken a vacation in a while or so-and-so takes off a long weekend. Well, why don't you take the whole week? You haven't taken a vacation in six months. Take the whole week. Well, you know? Why are you answering your emails during your vacation? <laughs> right. Right, exactly. And and try not to do that yourself when you're on vacation. It's it can be harder and it can be harder the more senior you get, but but also being vocal, right? Where I tell people, Hey, 
I might have to answer an email or two because of because of my role, but but don't you shouldn't enjoy it while it lasts. I used to put in the ray line of of emails because I had a pretty kind of crazy schedule. So a lot of times I would be doing some both personally and professionally. So I'd be doing catch up on weekends and I'd send an email a weekend, but I want to make sure that people I was sending it to didn't think, oh, she needs an answer right away. So I'd put right in the ray line in capital letters, no need to answer until Monday or not an emergency or just something to communicate that message and need it, that you're not getting extra credit if you answer me within the next five minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Because I, I used to think that people just didn't want to get emailed on the weekend. So I would say, okay, well, how about we don't email? And then, yeah. I, and then I, had a, I had an associate tell me, actually, I like it because it helps me plan. I, I know I don't need to do it till Monday, but it helps me plan my day and so if I would have gotten your email Monday morning, that actually would have blown up my Monday. So by yeah. having it on Saturday, I could plan ahead. Or if I so choose, I, could, I can get a head start um, on. And, and I had never, that thought never crossed my mind. And so again, if you don't ask, if you don't ask what works for somebody, then you'll never know. So yeah, that takes me to one of the most important topics, which is communication. And you got to have the policies and you have to make sure that people know about them. But work groups or teams or families need to communicate with one another about what they need in terms of advanced information or or direction or feedback. Because I've always been an advocate of one size doesn't fit all. So don't assume because this works in this relationship or with this individual that it will work for someone else. That's so, and that's why I think that the the, the two things that leaders can use more than anything else are their ears. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, because, and no one, no one is above listening uh, or communicating effectively. No one's above it. And frankly, I think the higher up you go, the more important it is that you listen. Because even if somebody is communicating something to you that you don't want to hear, it may be something yeah. that you need to hear. So yeah, it's, I mean, the, the bottom line, I think, is that wellness, mindfulness, self-care, whatever you want to call it, it, it only takes a few minutes a day, but not even. And it becomes, it becomes it's a, the, the effect is, is cumulative and it just becomes a normal part of your day if you incorporate it and as organizations valuing it that will that sends a message too and i mean the importance you don't have to believe me or you i mean the research is out there the importance of this is is dem, has been demonstrated through research that these self-care wellness mindfulness it, it, it keeps your brain healthy it reduces stress. It helps you connect with, with people, whether they're your clients, your kids, your parents, your friends, helps you connect with people, helps you concentrate better, communicate better, solve problems more creatively. I mean, it, it helps, it enables you to respond in your best interest and in others' best interest rather than to be impulsive and just be reacting constantly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's critical. That's fantastic. And, and this is such an important topic. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you came on to, to talk to me about it. And, you know, I'll look forward to us having more conversations. 
So thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining me today for Workplace Community Connections. If you are interested in subscribing to our podcast or learning more about Charla Stevens Consulting, please go to our website or email me directly at charla at charlastevensconsulting.com. Thank you for joining me again and have a wonderful day.